so, you know, we did all we could, you know, sixth place and got the championship towed away and then won the next one in Japan. The last rider on a 17 inch tire to win was me in Japan and Valentino and Max battled out for second. Episode 53, Tank Slapping Podcast. Short week, back at it. Another show, another world champ, another Kenny Roberts. Tonight we have Kenny Roberts Jr. coming on the show. Pretty amped to have the younger Roberts on the pod. He's a world champ, 2000 world champ. I don't think he gets enough recognition, to be honest. I mean, he won his world championship up against Valentino Rossi with some stacked stack grids on a bike that had a very low budget on that Suzuki. So um, aside from that, just really cool guy, a lot of knowledge, a lot of good insight within the industry. And I'm really excited to get him on and, and talk a little bit about his racing career. Kenny Roberts Jr. is was more of a calculative, uh, I don't even know if that's a word, calculative. <laughs> he used more calculation when he was uh, racing overseas. He wasn't uh, as much of a sender, quote unquote, as uh, as his pops was. But yeah, Kenny Roberts is uh, just, I can relate a lot to the way Kenny raced and, and did things coming up through the ranks. So I don't know Kenny that well, so I'm actually pretty amped to, uh, to talk to him. But yeah. As you can tell, I'm running this solo this week. No Robbie Bobby. I think he's getting his nails done right now, doing a little perm, whatever he's got going on. Uh, and Frankie Garcia, uh, we had a little miscommunication with Frankie. I, I gave him the wrong time. So, yeah, he's got some stuff going on. But next next episode, we'll, uh, we'll have those guys back on and helping me co-host and bench race and bullshit about what we love to hear about motorcycle racing. So... Before we get into it any farther, I want to make sure I shout out the sponsors that make this show happen. Bell Helmets, check out bellhelmets.com. The quality and safety of the helmets unmatched if you start tank slapping. You want to be protected by Bell. Huge shout out to Bell for supporting our podcast from day one, essentially, and uh, and still going strong. Moto America, the Road Atlanta series. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the first round of Moto America at Road Atlanta is April 30th to May 2nd. Junior Cup, the King of Baggers. Honus Superbike, Supersport, Stock 1000, Twins Cup. Actually, that weekend is also the next event for American Flat Track, and they're partnering with the AFT Series, offering the American Super Ticket. The Super Ticket will allow fans to attend both events in Atlanta for the low price of $99. If you're in Atlanta for the Flat Track, go check out Moto America. You will not be disappointed. The racing is phenomenal. The Superbike class is up for grabs this year. Cambobier moved over to Moto2. I'll touch upon that in a little bit, but really good racing. All those classes, fucking baggers. Are you kidding me? Like, it's going to be epic. So make sure you check them out. DID Chain, all the major Supercross teams that win titles, win races, they use the 520MX DID Chain. It's what you, we use on our GNG racing bikes. I use them on my practice bikes, everything. The name speaks for itself. But if you have any, um, if, if you're curious on what chain works best for your motorcycle, they have a few different options. Hit them up on social media. They do a really good job with that. AI, um, sorry, at DID chain and uh, communicate with them a bit on what, uh, what they feel is best for your application. Big shout out, Jerry Stinchfield, Roof Systems of Dallas, Texas. Just, man, just keeps the sport going. Without Jerry, we just would not have a series. And I think that's evident with all the 
the roof systems um, and Mission Foods logos you see in the, in the paddock this year. Dunlop Motorcycle Tires, the official tire of the American Flat Track Series. We gave away a brand new set of Dunlop DT4 tires through social media last week. Follow me on social media at Corey Texter, at Tank Slapping Podcast. Big shout out to Dunlop for supporting our podcast, giving away a set of free tires. I think his name was Cody Shipley. I think he's from the West Coast. So he earned himself a, a brand new set of tires. I mean, it's like a $360 or $340 value just for uh, being a supporter of the podcast. We appreciate Dunlop. AIM Sports, AIM Sports Data. Check them out on social media. They are the world, they are the world leader in data acquisition. We've talked about them before on the show, but their most common product that a lot of guys are using in flat track is the Solo 2 and or the Solo 2 DL. It's a GPS lap timer with so much data. We use them on our G&G racing bikes. I, I look at the data religiously and, and check that out. It's helped me out a ton. Uh, I hate actually giving giving some of the, that info away because I just feel it's it's so beneficial. But yeah, I want to get the word out on the products. And and uh, yeah, and I, we really appreciate AIM for, for supporting our show. And Mootool, Mootool Slacker. It's the only purpose-built design system for setting up your motorcycle and mountain bike suspension. Not only does it allow you to take your own measurements in real time using a remote display, it's much faster and way more precise. We love it. You've probably seen me post about it on my own channels. It's just the, the Slacker tool. It's Bluetooth. You hook it on the fender of your bike with a clip, press the button, hop on, hop off, measure your sag. You can check it so quick and it's so precise. So um, make sure you check out Mootool on social media and tell them C-Tech sent you. Uh, big news for this week before we get into calling Kenny Roberts is they – they uh, showed us the track map for Atlanta TT, and a lot of people want to know my thoughts. My thoughts? Ah, it fucking sucks. No, I, I'm just kidding. I think it looks cool, man. I really do. It's uh, uh, it's just different. I think that's. I think that adds some interesting aspects to to the series. You know, I think pavement. I think the starting line on pavement, like my my boy Andrew Butler said, it uh, it makes it an even starting line. Like sometimes on dirt tracks the bottom will be drier, uh, more dry. I don't know if dryer is a word. I'm really jacking up the vocab tonight, but uh, more dry. So you don't really get a fair shot on the starting line. That's why it's crucial to, to really pick a good spot. And, and, but, but with pavement, it's all should be similar pavement start turn one looks a little sketchy. There's some guys in my class that I'm a little nervous <laughs> about if, if I'm in front of them, uh, I just have to uh, just uh, twist the, twist the throttle a little bit longer. But no, I think turn one will be interesting. And then uh, yeah, it's just a cool layout. I like I like to jump out of the corner. I like uh, I like the layout. I think it'll be cool. Provide some good racing, and you might see some different guys up at the front. But no, I I, I honestly think it, it's uh, they did a, a good job with it, and hopefully the track is prepped well. The dirt's smooth and and tacky, and typically Atlanta clay is 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 pretty good dirt. So um, yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, I don't have a heck of a lot else here to chat about, man. I wish there was more. We have some races coming up. I want to just shout them out. There's one this weekend, April 2nd and 3rd. It's the Easter bash RPM promotions. Check them out. Jeff hires $7,000 purse and sheep ship Shawana ship Shawana, Indiana. I think that's up Northern Indiana, pretty close to like Elkhart, Indiana, the Michigan line. 
Uh, Trent Lowe was talking about it today. I think he's going up there. So uh, tickets available at eventbrite.com, two days of motorcycle and quad racing. So RPM promotions. And then we got a big event coming up April 16th and 17th, RVA Flat Track. Check them out on Facebook. Mike Hacker, John Nickens, two former pro riders from Virginia, bringing racing back to Virginia. Should be pretty awesome. I'm planning on making that trip uh, to ride my my t- my twin, dice it up and try and make a little bit of money. But yeah, they have a, a really good pro purse, hooligan, vintage, amateur, youth ride, youth uh, classes, all kinds of stuff. So um, Capital City Speedway, I think, is the racetrack. I might have that wrong, but yeah, I think Ashland, Virginia. So look that up. I think it's like three and a half hours from me. So I'm I'm pretty pretty excited for that. That should be, that should be really cool. Um, that's all I got for the opening. Wish I wish it was more entertaining for you guys this week. Going to get into this pod with Kenny Roberts jr. We've had a little bit of tech issues on this whole deal and, uh, finally get get him on the line here and, and chat with the 2000 world champ himself. All right. On the line, Kenny Roberts jr. Kenny, how are you? Good. Good. Glad to be with you. Yeah, appreciate you coming on. A lot to talk about. I kind of wanted to kind of start with a little bit about your mini bike career, how that all took place. Obviously, no secret, your pops was a really accomplished racer at that point, and you come along. When did you actually get on a bike for the first time? Yeah, so the story goes I was two years old, and apparently it was some bike out. I have no no idea. My dad sort of has told me that, but, uh, yeah, I don't remember. I just remember always being able to ride a bike. And, um, until I stopped in 2007, I had never rode a bike out of shape. So, uh, I got on a mini bike that after being off of a bike for about a year. And then I couldn't lift my left leg after I was done riding. Cause the steel shoe <laughs> is so heavy. But when you're in good shape your whole life, you know, never realize it. And, uh, when I stopped, yeah. then I, of course, found out, um, you know, how good a shape I was in. <laughs> so you, I was, that was my next question. What did you start out doing some flat track or were you, did you, um, did you go right to the pavement? Like, what was that transition like for you? So we were at my dad's ranch from about 87, which would have put me at around, you know, the, the, let me see, 13-year-old, 14-year-old, 15-year-old era, right around there, uh, that we just, you know, rode every day, and then he had Wayne and Bubba and these guys, Ricky Graham and guys like that out there training, and I just rode whenever there were people out there, and whenever I was at his ranch, which was quite a bit, and then it just escalated. Each year was more and more and more until I got to... 17 years old and then I'd rode a few dirt tracks the San Jose mile um one time oh, you rode San Jose I didn't know that okay yeah you know the problem with San Jose is you know you always think you're faster than the guy in front but you can't pass because of the groove so you know right um but uh yeah there, there was always people to ride with at the ranch and then you know as it got as I got to 17 I rode the wear season in the U.S. in okay. 92 and then 93 was the AMA and then 94 was off to Europe. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, the guys you mentioned, uh, Ricky Graham, Bubba, Wayne Rainey, that's, those are, <laughs> that's one of the perks, I guess, of, of growing up with, uh, with someone who, who was already racing to have the, have those guys to ride with. I mean, you're already, you're an amateur and you're getting to ride with some of the best in the world. So it's always good to, uh, get, you know, iron sharpens iron a little bit, kind of ride with those guys and see where you need to be and have a good gauge for that. But you know, you, you, you did some stuff over here in America and then you went over to Europe. What were your thoughts going over to Europe from America? I mean, were you, were you nervous? Was there a confidence level you've already developed? Um, what was your psyche going into those first Grand Prix years? Yeah. I mean, I feel that I had an interesting past and a, and a time that I went over there that's different than, you know, the 500s and the, the 250s and stuff at the time were incredibly difficult to ride and the injuries were quite high and often. So as a teenager, you know, I was still focused on not getting hurt as much as possible. Uh, so to ride the bike at a hundred percent and, and then, you know, try to go faster, you know, by making changes, not just pushing the limit. And as the tires got better on the 500s, you know, Wayne, and if you look at the history, you got mixed, you know, fused ankle and Kevin's got a fused wrist and then, you know, Wayne, you know, paralyzed himself. And so you have this generation of guys that you looked up to as heroes that were just getting annihilated by injuries. And so, you know, I was sort of not wanting to be injured when I quit. At the same time, you got to push the limit. So it's a very tricky uh, balancing act. So, right. you know, I, I had a lot of respect for the bike and, and you know, tried not to push a situation that was, um, was going to end up with me on the ground. So, you know, I was fortunate in, in that, that, you know, I got away with, with most of it during my career. Yeah. Well, and for you, I mean, that says a lot with about your, your mental strengths as a rider, where as a teenager, you kind of, you kind of choose which, which risks might be worth it, where most teenage kids, they get over there and they just go crazy and send the thing and, you know, whatever it takes. And you were more, more of a calculated rider, which I, I have a lot of respect for because I, I think I'm the same way, you know, it's, you know, I try to simplify the race as much as I can rather than just go out and twist it. Um, so that was something I've always admired with you, your, your kind of calculated approach to, uh, being successful. And you mentioned the 500 CC bikes, and I think it was, uh, was it 2001 or 2002? They, they went to the nine nineties. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, you mentioned how hard those 500s were to ride. They look fucking terrifying to me when I, when I watch them on film, I'm like, good Lord, that, that is it's something I don't want to, I don't ever want to ride. So what was your, I mean, by that point you, you, you were familiar with, with that 500 CC, obviously winning, winning a championship on it, which we'll get into, but what was that transition from, you know, a 500 CC to the, to the 990 CC? What was, what was, was there, was there excitement about it? Were you just, you know, wanting to stay on the 500 at that point? No. So that, 
that sort of evolved from the 500s. We knew we were sort of, as the 2000 season ended, we were quickly running out of speed with the the bike and the Michelin had introduced the 16.5 and uh, rear tire from the Superbike stuff and Colin and those guys were racing the 16.5 rear inch. And the problem on the 500 is that it it increased the contact patch in the back by dramatically quite a bit, but they wouldn't turn as well and some other things, but Michelin continued to work on it. And uh, McCoy used it and started winning, a, you know, want to race and some other things on it. So it, it started to become Michelin's focus. The problem for us on the 500 is that the little advantage we had on the side of the bike where the bike would spin sideways for the Honda and, and go, we would go forward. That was because they just had a little bit too much horsepower there. And we didn't. So we quickly lost our advantage in 2000, the last part of that season. 2001 was just the same bike as 99, which was the same bike that that uh, Kevin had, you know, basically won his championship on. I used his crankshaft and a tested Phillip Island uh, 180 degree crank because they asked if I wanted to try it. A 180 degree crank. I'm like, sure, I'll give it a show or give it a try and they brought it the next test and I was just amazed at how fast they were able to to uh, make one and they're like oh no this is Kevin <laughs> I'm like it fits in the same crankcase and <laughs> you know so I was a bit you know disappointed in that but uh when the 2002 season uh came up I we were excited because that day and I were told we were going to race the 500 against the four strokes in 2002 because Suzuki at the time didn't think that it was going to be they were going to dominate the or be faster than the 500s and then they changed their mind around November December and right. uh, they had also decided uh, to switch to Dunlop which we which everybody knew was was uh, going to be a disaster except Japan and then halfway through the season, we ended up switching back from Dunlop to Michelin and all kinds of fun stuff. So um, yeah. the four strokes were a lot easier to ride from the standpoint of throttle control and just not as snappy as the 500s. In some ways, what was the, of, yeah. Well, I was going to ask, what were, what was the electronics like then? I mean, did you guys, I, I'm, I, I honestly have no idea. I'm sure a lot of our fans that listen are, are flat track based fans. And um, w- did you guys have crazy electronics like those last well, few years you, in the 500 I, cc's? No. So I can give you what we had or what the competition had. So which one would you like to hear? <laughs> I, you know I mean? I, I can give you, I can, I can tell you on the Suzuki, we would still take the ROM out, which I have in my safe. Uh, of my championship bike and they would program it and put it back in and put duct, duct tape over the plastic box and the hondas when we went to 2001 when we went to mitsubishi to have a um electronic system made for the for the bike to try to help us in the two-stroke era they 
they said that this isn't going to be as strong as McDuan's 92 Honda. So why, why wouldn't you just buy the current system? Well, they didn't have enough budget for that. So we were very behind on the two stroke. And then when the four stroke came along, because I had tried traction control and stuff on my Team Roberts uh, 95 and 96 Yamaha. So Suzuki had no form of that. And, uh, you know, the, the, that was just, we were just behind, but the bike was rideable and I was able to, to, you know, take advantage of the 99 and 2000 season. I just being able to ride it as, you know, harder than the, the competition was able to get out of the tires. So when you fast yeah. forward to the four strokes, we had nothing different. We didn't have traction control. We didn't have wheelie control, launch control, pit lane, speed limiter, any of that. The competition did. So Honda would, you know, Honda rolled out and, uh, you know, they're going down there's this, the pits with the, with the thing, you know, on its limiter. And we're like, we, we had no idea. It was Sete and I, and we're just like, that's alien to us. They had traction control, wheelie control, you know, they started working on launch control in the three and four se- uh, 2003, 2004 season. We didn't get any of that stuff until the 2004 season is when we started getting- Yeah, it's actually knowing what we know. <laughs> it's like knowing what we know now, like going back to that, that time, knowing some guys have it and some guys don't. Like, could you imagine if you took away a half dozen guys out there today, like didn't give them those, you know, didn't give them the, the, the controls, like how far off the pace they would be. I mean, that's just crazy to think about knowing what we know now. I mean, back then, like you said, it was so new that guys, you know, you were like, well, shit, like, you know, still trying to figure out what it was. And, and obviously it, it worked really well. So yeah, I was just kind of curious on that, on the the 500 to the 990 transition. Um, I mean, you were, you raced, you raced in an era where things changed around quite a bit. Um, I mean, you know, a few years down the road, they went to the 800 cc's. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit, but I uh, wanted to talk about your, your 99 and 2000 seasons. Yeah. You finished runner up in 1999. Uh, I don't know the rider. He was from Spain. I know that it was, uh, what was the rider's name that won the title yeah, that year? Alex Carrier. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he won the title in 99 and then you came out in 2000 and, uh, you became a world champion. And honestly, it was a dominant season. You had nine podiums. Uh, I want to say it was four wins and just really, really good season for you. Talk about, you know, finishing runner up in 99 and then going into 2000, like, what was that mindset? Was it just championship or, or, or nothing? Like what, how was that going into it? Well, I mean, it depends on how long, you know, feel free to speed up the answer if you want, but we dealt with things when I was with Suzuki that are just unheard of now. <clears throat> and I was the Warren willing Gary Taylor and myself. And we had a, we had a contract with, GP Motors are with Team Roberts to which was GP Motorsports to um, to basically help us with engineering pipes and and uh, cylinders and stuff like that to help the performance because we couldn't get we were we were having trouble you know staying competitive at the end of the 2000 season I mean we were holding on by just strings because we had nothing new coming down you need you need to know what's new nine months prior 
and we were on the same bike as 99. So when I joined Suzuki in 99, the bike was easier to ride than a three-cylinder because it had horsepower. And, and I could slow my corner speed down from the three-cylinder, which I was on in 98, and then square off the corner like a dirt tracker. And, and then I had a lot of speed. And so, you know, I won the first couple of races quite easy. And uh, one was against, one was in Malaysia where I got up to about 10 second lead or whatever, and then backed off. And then the second one was in the rain where I, again, I just took off and then Nick doing started reeling me in. And um, I sort of had to get, learn how to go, you know, quicker without falling down, which is difficult to do in the wet. And I eventually matched his lap times. And then he sort of backed down from there and I won that race. And then he got hurt the following race and was out uh, for good. And, uh, the, the next race in, uh, in Jerez, my teammate ran the back of me and then it ran, then started running on three cylinders. And then I pushed the front and high sided in France and I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm not crashing anymore this year. And I didn't, that was the last crash I had until Argentina last practice of 99. I touched the paint in the dry when I was on pole on a, on a, just a race simulation lap. And it sort of high side, low side of me. And then that's when we started the rider safety committee. Cause I went in with my helmet and took Valentino and a couple other guys and go, Hey, we're not racing Sunday unless we get a, we start establishing a paint <laughs> and some, you know, a rider safety committee, you know, Nick had gotten hurt that year. It's like, this is a joke. I mean, this paint is slipperier than oil. So that's what started the current rider safety committee stuff. And then if you back oh, wow. up a little bit, during that season where I got second, we were on Suzuki, Showa, suspension, Michelin tires. Halfway through the season, Warren Willing was just adamant that the Olean's were better and we needed to utilize the Olean suspension for our corner speed. And he arranged the test in Czech Republic on a Monday after the race. And I was, um, I went out and I had done, let's just say it was a 203 lap time. And I went out and I did five laps under the 203 lap time, which I'd never done the entire weekend or race or qualifying on whatever, just normal tires with the Olean's front suspension. So I came in after five laps, I got off the bike and I said, we will not win another race unless we switch. And I left the test. So they granted us permission to use the Olean suspension at the next race in Phillip Island, Suzuki did. And I went out to a 10 second or 12 second lead, just dominating the weekend, the racing and the rear tire delaminated. Uh, no fault of ours. We had no idea. There were two tires. They were exactly the same. We just went with one and we're unlucky that that, that one uh, didn't make it till about six or seven laps from the end. So uh, Showa re requested their rear suspension back to do maintenance on it after the race. And then Warren Willing came into my rider's box and said that we lost the suspension for the next race. So uh, Shoah was upset that we used the Olean's front suspension. So they asked for their shocks back to work on them and said, sorry, <laughs> we're not giving them back to you. So Warren Willing had to go and we got a super bike shock from the shop you know, that you can buy over the counter and made some links for linkage, linkages for it. Um, just in a guy in Australia made us three or four links linkages to try and uh we raced the superbike uh shock over the counter at the next race in 
uh, South Africa, and it basically overheated the shock, and you know the thing was the thing, uh, you know, some popes and seals or whatever it did, and it was it was riding around, you know, an inch off the ride height and all that fun stuff. And then Olene said, by the end of the year, they had gotten us a shock, and then of course I won the last race in Argentina. So imagine, you know, that's us at a factory level switching suspension, breaking contracts halfway through the season to stay competitive. Yeah. So when the 2000 yeah, that, season that, came up. It's awful. Yeah. And nobody knows, you know, this type of stuff. And when the 2000 season came up, I was, you know, ready. I was like, we're the, we're the guys to beat. I mean, Honda had had some issues and, and Valentino's first year and, you know, all the hype was on him. And, you know, I just, I went out and methodically, you know, did what, what I could to, you know, the races that we were competitive with the bike, we dominated and sort of won. And the ones that we didn't just took what we could get. But luckily, yeah. our teammate. Looking at, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, looking at 1999, um, you talk about the South, the, the Australian race of Phillip Island. You talk about the, the South African race. Um, those were two, obviously two really, really tough races. Um, did you, did, did you end up finishing the, uh, the South African race or was that? I'd a, have to look you... back. I'm pretty sure I, I did somewhere, you know, quite, quite okay. a ways down, but quite a way back. Yeah. yeah. I mean, most of the wins that I've seen from, like, I've looked up some footage and most of your wins, mine, I, most of the ones I seen when, when you won, you pretty much dominate like a lot of your wins were kind of like ride off and dominate wins like there wasn't a heck of a lot of wins that i saw where there was a lot of battling because i was trying to find some of some guys who you battled with um in film and all the ones that i the highlights from your wins you're like four to six seconds in the in out front so it seemed like like uh, you you, like you yeah we battled machinery we didn't battle we didn't battle riders as much. We battled ourselves with trying to make the bike better. So as a rider, you generally are always trying to be making the bike better. So Japan is hearing me that's winning races and, you know, not, not one of my teammates was ever on the podium during the 99 and 2000 season uh, on a 500. So I'm, I'm, you know, uh, the only one doing this on a Suzuki and I'm saying, guys, we're not going to win a race unless we, they didn't have the budget. They didn't have the manpower, the engineering to make the bike better as fast as we made it competitive. So then with the whole two stroke thing coming up, it was just through a rift to this whole, you know, situation. Now, you know, with, with Suzuki, the first race in Malaysia or, second race of the year whichever it was i when i got to the start and for some something the bike loaded up and i got off the line poor and i came through the pack i was well down i was halfway down the um, grid and methodically got through everybody and then sailed off and then it started to rain with three or four six seven laps to go or whatever but i was three or four second lead uh in that practice of Malaysia, Ioki, my teammate, had a he would downshift too high and on a 500 and it would over rev and you it would just high side him. So Suzuki had figured out that the piston wasn't shaped correctly. So they they started a new piston shape 
in Malaysia. And then fast forward to halfway through the season where I am got plenty of points lead. We get to Holland and I was quickest in the wet by a long way. I mean, we're talking two or three seconds. Quickest in the dry by a half a second or three quarters of a second. So I start the first lap and the bike seizes into the back straight uh, cold temperatures and throws me over the top of the bike. And I get up and get back as they restart the race, which is now a wet race. But since the first lap I completed, I was out of the race. But I would have easily won that race, obviously, if I didn't make a mistake and fall down, meaning in the race, um, if the bike hadn't seized right. or whatever uh, initially. So that would have, you know, added some points to the to the season. But as we continued, it just got harder and harder. As soon as as soon as the Honda was able to crack the throttle and the bike went forward, we were done because they were, they were used to cracking the throttle and then the bike would just, you know, max lean angle, the bike's just spinning sideways. It's not going forward. So as soon as they got initial bite, like on your dirt track stuff, as soon as you get a tiny little bit more bite than the next guy, you know, you're talking six, seven mile an hour difference down the straightaway. If you can go right. forward and they go sideways, it's done. And when we, when we lost that advantage, when they would go forward, we were just, they would line up they would line me up and just pass me down the straight and then go through the corner a little slower. And then the next guy would do the same behind me because we didn't have the straightaway speed to, to do anything about it. And then of course, you know, it's, it's, you know, just looks from the outside bad because <laughs> there's nothing we can do. And we've been, I've been complaining for you know a couple of years. The problem is we're winning. So how seriously, yeah. you know, are you getting taken? I, yeah, I've, I've been in that situation where, I'll go out, I'll have a good race I'll, and I'll win or get on the podium. And I'm like, man, this thing, this part of the bike sucks. We need to make it better. Like, well, you won on it. And it's like, yeah, but trust me, like it's one of them things where if you're winning, you, it, guys don't, they're not wanting to make changes that like you foresee in the future needing that change. It's more like, well, you just won. Let's, let's just keep rolling with what we have. But like when you're, when you're a champ or you're, you're that guy, everybody else is working to beat you. And if you're just settled in on what worked, then you're never improving when everybody else is. So yeah, that's, that's interesting that you make mention of that. Cause it's, it's definitely relatable. Um, you mentioned that was, that was Rossi's rookie rookie year in the, in the premier class uh, 21 years later, he's still out there racing. Um, what are, what's your relationship like with Valentino and what was it like racing him as a, uh, like throughout the years, but mainly that like as a rookie, like what, what was that like? Well, I didn't understand what he struggled with as a rookie. Um, and you know, it, it, for me, it was the opposite on a two fifty, I was drastically slower. It's just so much more corner. You're, you know, you're never sliding. It's all in line. It's all perfect. So the 500, I was faster on as a rider. So when I made the jump to a 500, I was <clears throat> competitive, more competitive than most of my 250, uh, like Caparossi and these guys, to a certain extent. So when he jumped up, I mean, you know, if you look at Mar what Marquez did as a rookie, he just came into MotoGP and won. So my relationship with Valentino is fantastic. On his day, he's as good as, you know, you put my dad and Marquez and Valentino and Wayne and you put all these guys it would be very difficult to pick one over the other if they're all in their prime. But as you know, his rookie season goes, I, I didn't really get to race him that much. I, 
you know, I, when I got high sided off the bike in Holland, I had a fractured ankle or hairline fracture. And so I was sort of limping around when he won his first race in England in the wet and I finished second. And, um, you know, he, he, uh, was quicker that race and, and won it. And then, you know, started to get more and more competitive, uh, that year. And I remember the biggest thing is we knew we were, we were sort of against after Holland, we knew that it was our championship to lose mechanically at that point. So we really started examining what pistons were going on the bike, what shapes, what cylinders through a collaboration of team Roberts and the factory, because we couldn't afford another mechanical issue. So just to touch briefly, like when in Brazil, when I won the championship, I had to finish sixth and I finished sixth, but I didn't try to finish sixth. I tried to win the race, but for every, every, the past two seasons in uh, Brazil, for some reason, the carbon fiber reeds that we used all over the place just didn't work in Brazil. They would just shred and, and we'd have to use plastic reeds, which took away a lot of horsepower, which we didn't have a lot to spare. We had none to spare. We were 20 down on our, on our you know rivals at that point anyway so but to last the race right. we had to you know do that and then the uh cylinder heads broke off in practice and motor seized and you know all these things were happening we're just like i just need to get to the race and get out of here with some points and 15 minutes yeah. before or after the uh warm-up had finished warren willing came into my writer's area and he's like hey you got to make a call Again, this is me, not the factory, not the team. It's me as a writer, which, you know, you have a hard time thinking nowadays. The factory does a lot of the, the direct, the um, decisions and the, everybody's sort of responsible. And I was the only one, you know, it all came down to me. So he comes in and he's like, hey, the number one bike that sees, that's out. The second bike that you just got off of, the race bike, um, has a crack in the chassis so you need to say <clears throat> if we're going to weld it or if you're okay to ride it like it is and we'll just um, drill a hole in the crack you know at the edge of it and just hope that it stops you know and that was at the top motor mount of the chassis and i knew as well as anybody if you weld something you never know if the electronics are going to like it or not so i'm like yeah. no don't just yeah. you don't have time just drill a hole and i'll if that's as, hopefully that'll be as bad as it gets and that's <laughs> my championship bike in my <laughs> container that I have so you know oh, we did all we insane. could and, you know sixth place and got the championship towed away and then won the next one in Japan the last rider on a 17 inch tire to win was me in Japan and Valentino and Max battled out for second that's and, uh those that's incredible just knowing knowing that I mean <laughs> winning a MotoGP championship and then what you what you were up against uh yeah, that's, that's actually pretty, pretty fascinating, to be honest. Um, did you, you mentioned some of your teammates and things like that. Did you have any big rivals that you kind of slammed bars with or guys you just did not like racing with guys that were a pain in the ass week in and week out? Um, who were some of those rivals? I mean, how, how heated, how heated did it get? I mean, I, you hear a lot about the rivals, um, like over the years, like back in the day, then like, obviously like Rossi and Marquez and things like that. Like who, who was the guys that you, you kind of dealt with on a weekly basis? Yeah. You know, I want to have a better answer than what it is, but the, the honest truth of it is, is when I, 
went over there, you know, doing, Mick was the guy and, and we were, you know, he was five-time world champion and we were all just trying to beat him. So I got there in 95 on the 500 and um, it was Norik and John Michelle Bell as my teammates. And, you know, Mick had said out of all the young rookies, he said, you know, I, I showed the most potential in the races and all that. So he, I had nearly gone to the podium a couple of times and, and then my dad um, decided to stop with Yamaha and make his own bikes. So from 97 to 98, I was on the Modinas. And then I jump on the Suzuki in 99 and win the first couple. And then Mick hurt himself. And, and then, I, you know, Alex was there. He sort of stepped in. We had some mechanicals. We fought a bunch to get the bike, you know, competitive for the 2000 season. And then from there, it was a different guy every weekend. The races were quite close. There was only you look back there, there wasn't a lot of gaps between the victories uh like you say of course mine uh wins were maybe a bit uh you know bigger than than most of them but it was quite a competitive two seasons then 2001 valentino dominated it um he was riding the 2001 honda in the 2000 phillip island race at the last race of the year because he passed me and or I followed him in practice and the bike sounded completely different. And I asked him after on the front row press conference, uh, what, what he was, why it was different. He said it was the 2001 bike. So Honda's already on their 2001 500 in the 2000 season to get time, you know, get data from it. So we knew, you know, I I couldn't keep up with that bike. So how am I going to, you know, they're just going to evolve more and more and more. So, you know, we knew we were going to be struggling and we were struggling against mechanical stuff. You know, it's, don't forget you're at the top of, you're at the top of motorsports and you're battling with a factory to be competitive, not so much as riders. So I never, you know, we, we had swing arms, fuel tanks, chassis. I mean, I was never on the same bike essentially from practice to practice. Because if we were, for example, in, in Paul Ricard in Brazil and these places that sucked fuel, I'd have to run a bigger fuel tank. Not bigger uh, over the, the limit, just more fuel than you'd want to have to carry. And, you know, the Honda guys, right. had some stuff, Mick had, they had changed some stuff in the 99 Honda to 2000 where the fuel was just in a different place. And they were all complaining. It's like, guys, I, I get on a bike, I can't go around the corners because it tries to lift my arm off the handlebar because it's hitting the gas tank. And you guys are complaining about a little weight. (laughs) I mean, we we just added four kilos above me and I just had to deal with it. So, you know, I, Uh, again, it's a, it's a silly answer because it just doesn't, I I never got a fair shot on the same stuff. I mean, probably Sete and I battling out in 2003, as teammates was about the closest rival I, I got. And even then uh, movie star who was our Spanish sponsor took him and left in 2004. And then he went on with huge success uh, against Valentino and, and Suzuki would always say, look, we know you have the talent to win the races. We just got to get you the bike. So they took set day and, you know, he's going around doing like a minute 35s in Valencia. And the next day he's doing a minute 33s on the Honda. And I'm like, what's different? Everything's just faster. Gear changes. 
you know, everything <laughs> just uh, is, is just better. And the lap time is just different. I'm riding the same, I'm pushing the same, and the lap time's faster. So, you know, yeah. it is what yeah, it is. Yeah, and that, that's, that's the beauty of, well, I guess beauty is, uh, I don't know if that's the term for it, but that's that's racing. It's uh, that's the frustrating part of uh, of what we do. It's going out there, no, knowing what you're doing, but yeah, the, the lap time is just slower. It's, well, uh, yeah, know, that's. But think about this for a second. This is some interesting theory or thought behind this is Hendrick Motorsports I have a friend in there and they've been struggling lately and I you know send out a simple text is it is it uh, a budget issue or um, too many chefs in the kitchen and the simple reply back was we've never had a budget now think about that for a second. <laughs> if you want to build the fastest MotoGP or 500 in the world and you have no budget, or if you're a Honda Motor Corporation and you're like, they want to dominate. They don't want to win races. They want to dominate. Where our factory was just, we're, we're happy being competitive. So, you know, if you have those two different mindsets, it's very simple. If you're there to compete, yeah, we're doing great. Oh, okay, we'll get them next year that that's just sort of the mentality that racers we want to dominate and hrc mindset is to build the best bike and that's acceleration and handling and whatever and you saw two years ago marquez is slow down the straights and then they get him a better motor the next year and he's dominating down the straights with ducati and easily winning the championship so right. you know that's a factory being you know, having, having the mindset of we have to have the best bike because we're HRC. Right. And so, you know, when you're yeah, in motorsports yeah, yeah, and you have no budget and you're slow, <laughs> you can't win races and you have no budget. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, that's, yeah, that's for, for me as a ride. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, guys, you know, they always want to be on the top teams and top factories, but man, it's like, it can almost be a lose lose. If you win, you're supposed to be winning. You're, you know, you're on the best bike. If you, if you lose, or if you get third, it's like, what the hell are you doing? You should be winning. You're on, you're on an HRC. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's interesting that, that you, you brought that up. Um, yeah. And then obviously a couple more things I wanted to touch upon, you know, you, you, uh, you raced over there with, um, Obviously, Nikki Hayden, Colin Edwards, some other American riders. Uh, did you? I'm trying to think. Of Scott Russell, maybe your, your yeah, early yeah. early years. Um, how was your relationship with all those guys? I mean, how how is it honestly? Like, are you is is are you going out? Like, I'm kind of wondering with like Cam Bobier and Joe Roberts this year in Moto Two. Like, do you do you try and beat your statesmen more? Um, is is that rivalry kind of? How how is that how does that work? Like you you want those guys to do well, but you also I probably want to be the top finishing American rider. So how was how was that with with all those guys? Um, yeah, I think it, growing it, up a little bit. Scott Russell and I <clears throat> had a you know a fun relationship in the fact that he just thought he was going to dominate on five hundreds, and I I was young and I wasn't even in I don't even know if I was out of America yet. And I'm like, well, you're not going to beat Wayne, and he got so offended by that and was. You know, you don't think I'd be? I'm like, dude, no way. No superbikes, nothing like a 500. And you know, he didn't like that. And we raced together. And um, 
96 and I was on the team Roberts 500 and he kept me off the podium a couple times one in Germany he was third and I was fourth um, and uh, we had a, a good relationship one of the funny things about Scott is that he and he probably tell the story better than I would but he crashed at the Czech Republic I think in turn one or, sorry turn two high-sided and broke seven of his toes and he says yeah I you know, if you can imagine Scott talking, he's like, I called my grandma and grandma broke seven toes. She's like, oh, huh, huh, sorry, what foot was it on? He's like, you don't understand, there's seven. <laughs> so it's kind of, right? So that was a, a fun story. And then with Colin, oh, you know, man. he never got a fair shake at it from the standpoint of on the Aprilia. And then, you know, by the time he got over to Yamaha, Colin was one of the, Riders who, if he got going, I think would have done very well. It's just that I I don't know with Valentino if it was if it was you know ever really a fair shake. I'm and and I don't know where he would say that the pace was at that he was missing. But I mean, look at him on a you know on a superbike. He was just dominating on that Honda. So mm -hmm. you know I think he had more to show there that he just was never able to to get from the bike or himself with the bike or whatnot uh nikki um you know had those you know one and a half years or two years there to to win the championship and you know he um he was able to get it done and it's for me it's always i i think most of our fans in europe are military so they're coming from military bases like Jerez, they're within an hour of the military base in Germany and places like that. So our type of fans there were America. Colin had Team America shirts with me, Nikki and John and himself on it that fans have made and, you know, that type of stuff, you know, modeled after the cartoon. So it was almost like you would root for, you know, the American guys within at least me, like if Colin or Nikki or them guys, you know, it was, it was fun to see them do well. Um, <clears throat> we, I don't, I know we don't have the rivalry compared to Italians and Spanish because the press sort of dictate that rivalry and, you know, turn them against each other, you know, Italians against Italians or Spanish against Spanish or whatever, or right. Spanish against Italians. So they really feel that there's a big disconnect between MotoGP and American uh, journalists or, or press because it's just, there's a big divide. It's just, you know, they're in Europe and we're not. So it, it, we didn't have that. Yeah. We didn't have that Latin rivalry against each other that you know, I felt anyway. Right. Well, and Nikki, it, the year Nikki won and it was, yeah, Nikki, Nikki won in 06, and you, you had a really good year that year. So um, I, were you guys on the podium together at any point? I don't even know if I remember. Yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> Barcelona, we were on Valentino, and Nikki ran off, and Valentino was just playing with Nikki. He said I was battling against John, my former teammate, who John Hopkins, when he came over, <clears throat> you know, great kid. But I, all I was trying to do was slow them down. And it's like, John, if you let them make the bike better, then we can race for first and second. And, it, you know, he wanted, he had this, you know, as long as he beat me, 
in his eyes uh, or in the team's eyes, that's was good. I'm like, that's fine. You finished ninth. I finished 15th. So <laughs> I was trying to, you know, I, I remember, especially after the English Grand Prix where it was in the wet and John ended up crashing and um, we were all fighting for the win. Valentino ended up taking off and then I got second beat <clears throat> Barrows for uh, last lap. I passed him coming on the back straight. And I just told John, like, if you just slow down, let these guys build the, just go 100% instead of 120. Let the guys make the bike better. That way, when we when we actually can race, we're racing for first and second, not 15th and 16th. And he's pushing the bike yeah. way past this limit. He had, you know, huge crashes that were just so unnecessary. And <clears throat> in the end, they went, oh, well, you know, Kenny, you know, can't ride anymore and you know he's finishing last i'm like yeah i know i it's just me <laughs> it's definitely not the bike you know you got john <laughs> crashing you know every other practice or race for eighth place and i'm in the back going look guys the thing is slow we have no electronics it, it, you know it is what it is and so i jumped on the honda the next year and kept john off the podium three or four two or three times whatever it was so john and suzuki finished fourth and i had finished on that last podium spot a couple times and one of those would have been barcelona and it was funny because john and i battled the whole race and i'm just spinning the rear tire like a dirt tracker everywhere and then I, I i let john pass me three or four laps from the end and he is just head down the thing's not spinning and and i'm just in my helmet laughing because like he is trying so hard and I lined him up with a couple laps still on the front straight and just got in the Honda lane and passed him with, that, with ease. And turn three is third gear. And I left probably, oh, at least a good wedge, 120 yards, just thick black line right in front of him and just turned over and looked at him. The tire smoking and pulled out two or three seconds from him uh, for third. That Suzuki couldn't spin. Uh, you know, just didn't have the right ability that the Hondas had. Uh, Honda was like a sewing right. machine. Uh, you you wouldn't know if it was at eight thousand or sixteen thousand. Matter of fact, I got, Nikki's, <laughs> I got Nikki's I got Nikki's rev limiter setting uh, for some reason in Valencia last race of the year, <clears throat> and I was quickest in practice. Honda came to me, and they said, uh, you know, Kinsan, so sorry, we give you wrong RPM. And I remember I used three gears besides six gear on a straight. I was using three gears through the entire, uh, you know, network of corners. And I was like, this is fantastic. And on the Suzuki, I remember shifting, you know, all the time. And so they came to me and oh, okay, so sorry. And I'm like, all right. So they switched me back to the, the non HRC mode. And now I was shifting again. So I went, you know, back to my computer guys. I'm like, Hey, what was the RPM? And they're like, it was 18, eight or 18.6, and I was at 16.6. So they took away 2000 RPM, and then you're having a shift because you're, you're, you know, you're on that limit of, uh, of the rev limiter coming out of corners, and it was just because you weren't HRC. So, yeah. you know, it, it, but, you know, Nikki, you know, did what he had to do, and he, you know, earned it, and, um, you know, it was good to see him win it. It was emotional for, you know, him and 
and his family. So, you know, I think it's, it's um, especially, you know, now that he's not with us anymore and all that, you know, just makes it more, it, it makes it, makes it funner to look back on, but we miss Nikki, you know, that it's not, it's just nice that he won it. And, you know, um, when looking back at what we know he's not with us anymore yeah yeah it, it's a little bit uh i wouldn't say sweeter but it, there's more satisfaction in knowing he he accomplished his goal as uh as being a world champion um to be taken away you know it's like oh it, you know a world champion really really good guy yeah we definitely miss him um got one more question for you and then we'll kind of go into our last segment before I let you go. I definitely appreciate you taking the time. This is uh, some really, really cool info. Um, I'm just kind of curious, like how much do you follow the sport today? I mean, you've, you've talked about Marquez and Rossi, um, you know, which, which kind of racing series do you follow as a fan right now? Do you, do you check in on the MotoGP stuff? Do you watch Supercross, flat track? Um, what are, what are some of the things you enjoy now? But when I stopped, it was, it was, you know, I still have always watched MotoGP. The races before Marquez had got there were just kind of, you know, this is, I was still in it and knew the bikes. And then when Marquez got there, it was like a different world. And watching the guy uh, ride a bike, one of the things, that I'm just amazed at is his ability to forget about nearly falling down the next corner. So if they say a goldfish has a 30 second memory, well, he just has no fear. So it's like, oh, the front push, I just, you know, saved it on my elbow for 30 feet. Oh, and I did it again the next corner. Oh, maybe the front's going bad. Like <laughs> if I push the front like that on a 500, we come in and go, we would be white and our elbow would have a little scratch on us. Like, man, I was down and, you know, it was like we're numb, you know, it was like a horror story and he could just, <laughs> you know, push the front and then just go wide open the next corner and push the front again and then fall down or not. And you're just like, how did, you know, you can't teach that. That that's, that's not teachable just to go, Oh, forget about it. Just try the next corner. It, it, it's impossible to just teach a writer that. So he just changed the game and, you know, he's changed all the riders. They're all dragging their elbows, leaning off. It's spectacular to watch. Uh, you know, since he came on board, I hated to see him get hurt because that's the problem with the sport is when we would get hurt, it would be like watching, if you like Tiger Woods, nobody wants to see him out of a golf tournament. It sucks. You still sort of no, watch the matches, I agree. But, you know, it just... It, you know, we just, we don't want to see your heroes or the best guys not there. And so in their prime too. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, in saying that I, I watch MotoGP, um, you know, Indy 500, the Daytona 500, you know, NASCAR, I enjoy because I get to see some of the behind the scenes stuff. Um, the dirt track stuff, I, if I knew where, when, and you know, whatever, I would probably, um, stay tuned into it i do watch the supercross if i'm lucky enough to remember you know where we're at and stuff we right now we travel and homeschool and do all that stuff with our kids so sort of every day is groundhog day for us so it's easy to get lost in the in the moment and um we we aren't settled down so we still sort of just jump around and travel 
so it, it makes it hard to stay connected to some of the smaller stuff, you know, that it's not as televised as, as MotoGP. Ah, oh, fair enough. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to send you. Uh, I got your number now, so I'll have to send you some of the so the the flat track stuff whenever it's on. And if you get a chance, uh, get a chance. You're traveling and you're nearby a race. We'd uh, I'd love to have you. I'd love to have you come out and check it out. So I'll, I'll definitely keep well, you posted on that. Yeah, perfect. Um, I talked I talked to Bubba. I mean, can you get any more flat tracking than Bubba? <laughs> definitely not. Definitely right. not. He's a good guy. Yeah. So I think. Yeah. I, enjoy talking with him and he's just the epitome of a dirt track racer yeah yeah he he do that speaking of talent he's super talented um i mean you, you mentioned ricky graham you know those guys did, did you have a dirt tracking hero back in the day i mean was what was was ricky that guy or bubba like who did you kind of look up to as like a flat tracker i you know, the thing is, these guys are coming to a ranch that my dad, that was still, that my dad is still highly uh, talented at his, so he, believe it or not, was as fast, if not faster than these guys, even after he retired. And I, I remember yeah, Chris Carr surprised. coming to our ranch and stuff, and we just, you know, had it, our stuff dialed. And so these guys would come and sort of be behind the eight ball if you will. I mean, I remember Eddie Lawson coming to the ranch and I was 15, 16. And he went out with me before my dad and Wayne got back. And he's like, nowhere with me. And uh, meaning just like, Eddie, you got to open the throttle or something. And he's like, so your dad and Wayne are faster. I'm like, well, they're as fast and probably faster. Yeah. I mean, uh, but yeah, they're not slower. And he's like, oh, fuck. he just he because he couldn't keep up with me. So he's asking me questions about them. I'm like, no, you're if you can't go any faster, you're in trouble. Uh, you know, Chris <laughs> yeah. Card came out there, like I said, and you know, Ricky, he came out and then he went over a like a foot and a half jump uh, sideways and then crashed and broke his femur. Um, Jeez. Yeah, uh, there's a it, we you know ESPN covered if you look, I forget what they called it, but they covered a half an hour segment on whatever the, it was motor week or whatever it was in 88, 89 and 90 at the ranch or it could have been 87, 88 oh, no and 89. Way. Yeah. It, you can Google it and look back. It, it's, and they, you know, cause we had uh, car what? races out there. You couldn't buy more, spend more than $500 on the car. And uh, Wayne Rainey <clears throat> was uh, in his car and coming down a hill and the tire um, and the whole rim. Oh, I've heard collapsed. this story. I've yeah, heard he's this hanging out the window yeah, in, the, in the still shots. <laughs> and our manager was there, <clears throat> which is uh, International Racers, Gary Howard at the time. And that was like, boom, they dropped the hammer. It was like no more car racing after, after he- I've that. heard this he was, story. Yeah, he was managing Gary or, uh, you know, Wayne, Eddie, John, my dad, myself. Yeah. It, yeah. That, that the, was a big the, shutdown. The $500, uh, the $500 race Chuck, uh, Axlin was telling me about, I was, <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's man. The ranch well, sounds like a, like a really cool place. I, Ricky, I'm bummed yeah, I Ricky, never got to check it out. Ricky Johnson came out there and hit this little tiny four or five foot jump and made it a, to a triple 
but he he's you know fifth gear wide open on a, on a supercross bike so then of course he puts his toyota red toyota truck underneath it and we got pictures of him you know jumping his truck and then then everybody's like oh i gotta try it so my dad hits his nose on the crossbar and breaks his nose bubba comes up short and breaks his wrist <laughs> i it's just like and my my dad down there and ricky comes up and he's like hey you gotta go for it you cannot roll out so if you roll out you're you're in trouble so you got to go flat <laughs> you know you got all these road race guys just eating it so yeah it was a fun it was fun times yeah that's amazing yeah i love i love hearing stories like that um the la- last segment we do it's called the higher low line kind of this or that pick one or the other and if you want to give a like a one or two sentence exp- explanation on it um that's always cool as well but First one, what is what do you call it? Grand Prix racing or MotoGP? I prefer Grand Prix, but whatever they went with the MotoGP name. Yeah, yeah, because you you did both, right? It was Grand Prix, and then it's changed halfway through. So you were you did a little of both. Uh, no, I like well, that. yeah, um, I mean, Grand Prix. Yeah. <laughs> Grand Prix just got a history. I mean, it just sounds, I don't know. I, li- I like the way it sounds. Grand Prix racing. That's just. I, yeah. I MotoGP know. is a Spanish, a Spanish, you know, it's a, it, moto is what? Uh, you know, yeah. I, it is what it is. But yeah. It, no, I, 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 I agree. I agree. Yeah. You know, FIM 500cc world champion sounds a lot better than MotoGP yeah. world champion. Because I don't know what it, what it, what it means. I agree. I agree. hundred um, percent. You got to go with one rider and I, I'm going to keep this broad, make it more challenging. <clears throat> Rossi or Marquez. So both of them, I know very well, both of them, you know, Valentino has had a, an amazing career. He's always been on the best stuff. He's always been, you know, the chosen one from the fans and changing the sport. But if you look at somebody who's came along and just changed the way you have to understand, my dad went over and changed the way that racing was dragging his knee, the safety stuff, the improved everything. And Marquez comes along as a rookie and is dragging his elbow. Now I say rookie, not the same as my dad. So, you know, they like to keep the history needs to be separated. My dad was the first 500 CC world champion in america he was the first rookie he came over he had to learn the tracks on street bike hockenheim was 18 minutes long or something like that so he came over as a rookie learned the tracks on a yamaha on goodyears which nobody else was on and won the championship so marquez came off of moto 2 to to moto gp but he knew all the tracks but still as a rookie yeah dragging his elbows and, and he's altered the way the guys ride Okay, so Valentino did not change the way I rode. Valentino breaks with three fingers, his, his last, his first three. I didn't change the way I, you know, use the brakes. But Valentino is making guys drag their elbows to save it on their, to save it on their elbow. So I think that you have to give <clears throat> the ability for Marquez to change the dynamics of the sport. It's, it speaks for itself. There's no greater there's no greater uh, form of, you know, flattery until, you know, you start, guys start doing what you're doing. 
No, I agree. I like that answer. I, I was going to say the two guys I think that have changed it the most are, uh, are Kenny Roberts senior and uh, Mark Marquez, man. That's uh two guys like literally changed, <laughs> changed the way well, guys yeah. are doing it. Although Rossi kind of Rossi had that like foot, foot swag thing going where he drug his foot a little bit. And then well, it seemed I, like that, once he started doing that, everybody that, started dragging the foot. Yeah, that didn't, that, <clears throat> that wasn't, I don't know that he started it for one and two, that was something that we would all do when we thought we were in too hot. And it helps you, okay. it helps you keep the, the bike straight up and down harder and easier and it gets some of the weight disconnected from the bike. So I wouldn't say that, you know, he started it, but it doesn't help you physically it doesn't help you it's more of a like man this is hot but uh, you know i can make it dragging your elbow right, right. you know we can't even think of that and if you, you wanted to make the ultimate rider you would take my <clears throat> you know i think marquez is my dad's speed with with more crashing meaning i've never seen somebody ride a bike other than like marquez other than my dad and just didn't crash a lot. He didn't make a lot of mistakes. I mean, I rode right. with him up until, you know, he stopped riding and he would do stuff on bikes that all of us would just look at and just go, no, I'm not going to even do that. I'm going to try. <laughs> I mean, that, that 500, that uh, 750 he rode in the Indy mile that he did that lap on in 2009 I warm yep, the yep. thing up and it's got brass slides. I don't know if you've ever got a chance to fill the throttle, but it's like a two pound pool because the slides are so heavy. Yeah. And I got arm pump just sitting there getting it warm. So I had no idea how you're going to race the thing. <laughs> and then, you know, nah, it's terrifying on the lat and then seeing them come down the front straight and win it. Like that thing was doing, you know, 50 mile an hour faster than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I looked it up. It has like 150 horsepower or something stupid. It's just, uh, well, it goes like 180 uh, mile an hour or something. Yeah. But it's, it's half the weight as anything else with double the horsepower. Oh, I know. You know? I know. So, yeah. It's looking at pictures of it. I'm just, I just shake my head. I'm like, there's no fucking way you could pay me to ride that bike. I just would, I don't think I'd even want to ride up and down the road. Like if they said, Hey, Corey, you want to, you want to try this? I, I don't think I would even do it. I mean, I guess I would have to just <laughs> yeah, because, sure. but man, it's, it's such a terrifying bike. Um, a couple more here for you. Would you rather, I don't know if this is a good one or not, but would you rather ride a, an, ride a whole race without knee pucks or start the race with cold tires? Like oh, if I'd, you're doing a, a full race. race. Yeah. I'd start the whole, the race with cold tires. No problem. That, 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 no, no problem. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. The knee thing well, is you're old school. Bit. Did you guys even how when did they start using warmers? This is probably a stupid Eddie, question, but Eddie when did was, that become a thing? Yeah, we were just down at my dad's and Eddie Lawson was giving us giving me crap the other day. He's like, Oh yeah, when we started we didn't have tire warmers. I'm like, No, I uh, so I'm generation X. I got to see all that. I got to see, you know, we went from <laughs> you know, nothing to you know, at the end and you gotta verify this with Colin, but you know, the chassis is telling the engine to open the throttle because they have to save fuel, <laughs> I know. right? So if the How chassis doesn't have enough torque, meaning the swing arm with the torsion sensors that are built into the swing arm, the rider opens the throttle, it goes through the, tor the torsion part of the chassis going, hey, do we got load or do we not? 
And if it doesn't have load, it won't let the throttle open to save fuel. Because the first form of traction control was cutting spark. So you'd open a throttle and it would cut okay. spark. And you would waste fuel because the fuel is getting dumped in, but this, it's not letting the right. thing spark. So they had to get more efficient. That's crazy. So they just went, well, there's a certain load on the swing arm when the tire's hooked up. And they could program that load in and it says, if you don't see this amount of torque, don't let the, the engine go. So, you know, huh. we went from, you know, starting the, the bikes, you know, 250s and going out, you know, with, with cold tires. I, I had, I didn't have no problem with that. Wet, wet cold tires is the funnest. <laughs> That's crazy uh, that, yeah, your, your era, man, you, you literally did it. You did the, the you did it all like with, from no warmers to full on traction control and that's that's the that's quite in the and honestly it's it's pretty remarkable that you were you know you were very competitive and successful obviously being a champion in the 500 cc era and then going all the way up to 2006 the bikes changed they changed so much and you were still very competitive it, i don't know it just that's really that's really really cool actually um I got one more for you and we'll, I'll let you go, but more memorable win your first win in Malaysia or your final win in Motigi. And you, you did pretty well at Motigi. I, I saw, um, you had a, a couple wins there, I think, but what was more memorable that, that first win or your final win? Yeah. The first one. Yeah. Easily. Because, okay. you know, we, we, Mick was the guy and we just went out and warm up and, um, Mick, uh, yeah, I'm going to tell it like it is. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I went out there and I behind five time world champion and he looks back and he, you know, pats his backside and the back was leathers as far as, you know, like don't follow me or something. And, and I was like, dude, I'm not, I'm following you, but you're in the way. So I'm like, all right, let's go. So I, I passed him and, uh, I looked back when we were done four or five laps later and I had four or five seconds on him easy. And I came in and looked at the lap times and it's like, dude, I got this thing one easy if I can, you know, just stay in my own race. And yeah, I just, I cleared off. We just had, you know, the, yeah. the package was rideable and, and I was the right rider at the time, which just, you know, took it to the limit and didn't try to make it a Honda or didn't try to make it a Yamaha. Just, you know, we used the best part of what it was. So, but yeah, no, Malaysia was oh, for sure like yesterday, of course. That's amazing. Yeah. I didn't even think about, I guess he was five. I mean, to, to pass check out on the guy that literally just won five in a row. Um, he, and he won so many races. I mean, you look at Marquez and Rossi on their good years. Um, Mick was like equally as dominant in those years that he, that he did well. Um, so he had to come out and to, uh, lay it to him. That's, that's pretty awesome. That's a, that's, that's a lot of confidence for you, yeah, I mean, he, you know, leaving he, that race. He had Alex to give him some runs at it, but he didn't really have a lot of competition. I mean, he, you know, got the race with Kevin and, and Wayne, but of course with their careers ending early, you know, it was just feast for him. I mean, yeah. And it'd be song. cool to see what, what that would have looked like if, if they didn't get it, you know what I mean? If, if they would have stayed in it, um, if, if that didn't happen, I would have liked to see how that all played out, but yeah. And there's all what ifs, you know, there's tons of those in racing, but, um, definitely, well, yeah, uh, no, definitely cool. Yeah. 
you look back on some of the things like Wayne just talking, you know, talking smack to him, like, you know, he took the poll in Czech Republic and, and Wayne's like, yeah, he's not going to be able to run those lap times in the race. And, you know, we're going to get, I mean, that was a rivalry. Those guys were like, go, you know, Kevin and Wayne, that, they were bitter rivals. And to hear some of Wayne's interviews, like he just, oh, Mick's never going to do that in the race. And sure enough, Wayne ended up clawing him back in the race, passing him, win the race. So it was like, <laughs> they were different than us, you know, yeah. different, different times. Yeah. And I, I love that shit too. Like I love, I love listening to some of Wayne's interviews. Just, um, yeah, just a, a really, really he confident, but it, it was, it was like, I don't know. It was a different kind of persona. Like his, his confidence was, was just incredible. And he didn't go about it in a spiteful way. He was just, he just knew, you know? So I, it, it's kind of like, like, like your dad and, and guys like that. It's just that, that confidence uh, is something that I, I, I really like the mental side of racing more so than, than anything else. And um, all you guys that have won championships at the, at the, at that level, it's just, I really like to uh, just hear, hear the mental side of how you guys approach things. And, and your story is really relatable to, to mine. I'm not that I've won a world championships, but just the way you go about it. Um, yeah, I really, I have a lot of respect for it. And I was really excited. Thank you for coming on. Um, we had a, quite a bit of a tech issue <laughs> before we started and you, you kind of walked me through. I'm, I might have to hire you to be my tech guy for the, for the podcast, but yeah, I definitely you appreciate go. you coming on and uh, yeah. it was really fun chatting with you. Well, yeah, thank you very much. It's fun to relive some of the, the uh old times and, and good times but um yeah we'll uh just go from here cool well thanks kenny uh i'll uh, i'll keep in touch with you if there's a race uh that i think maybe you might be able to come or i'll, I'll keep you posted on that and uh yeah we'll uh, we'll touch base and talk soon okay sounds great take care thanks all right take okay. it easy thank yeah. you Wow. Kenny Roberts, man. What a, what a insightful rider. I, I love chatting with him, learning about some of the, the racecraft needed for him throughout his career as a, as a MotoGP rider and world champion. That's some of that info was just blew me away. It's, uh, you know, what, what he went through to overcome and become a, a, a Grand Prix champion. That's, that's phenomenal, phenomenal info. With that being said, I wanted to kind of Talk a little bit about the MotoGP season opener this past weekend, especially the Moto2 class. Uh, Joe Roberts expected to do really well this year, had a really strong showing, sixth place. I know he wanted to do a little bit better. He was up up front at the you know up at the t- top of the charts throughout the weekend, and uh, yeah, good good for Joe to, to get a, a sixth place. And I want to give a big shout out to my man Cam Bobier for just shit, man. Just he was like 80th place on the grid and just charged through the pack and got 11th phenomenal ride for cam making up time the entire distance. I think some of those laps, he had the fastest time on the racetrack and for cam to do that in his first moto two race, it says a lot about, about who he is as a rider and his racecraft. You can't count out a racer like Bobier. Like we don't screw around with qualifying. We don't, you know, the, the guys like that, they don't give a shit. I mean, qualifying, it's not like we don't, I, it's not like we don't care about qualifying, but racers race. Um, there's guys that are good qualifiers. And then when it's time to it's time to get it on guys like cam, I knew he'd show up and, and have a, have a ride like he did. And I expect more from Cameron. Um, after the first te- couple tests and, and the qualifying 
people were starting to write him off. And I'm like, dude, it's Cam. Like, he's going to figure it out. So with Joe Roberts and Cam, they're both crushing it. And Moto2, which I don't think people understand the competitiveness of that class. I mean, there are some – it's a stacked grid. It's as stacked as I've, as I've ever seen it. Um, and I've been following MotoGP for a long time. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting. MotoGP, the, the premier class, it's just not the same without Marquez, in my opinion. Um, man, it's just, it just sucks. It sucks not watching greatness. Whether or not you like him or not, the dude is phenomenal to watch. Uh, as Kenny said on the pod, just some of the stuff he does. I mean, to impress a world champion, retired world champion like, like Kenny Roberts Jr., for him to say what he did about Marquez just shows the, the appreciation of the talent level with other riders and his peers. So, damn, Marquez, get better, dude. We want you out in the grid. Um, Maverick Ven- Vinales uh, pulled off the win. And, yeah, it was it was pretty good. I saw the, the Ducatis kind of made that Suzuki their bitch <laughs> on the final straightaway. Those Ducatis are quick. So, yeah, Zarco and uh, – oh, shit, I don't even know. I forget who the other guy was. But, yeah, Joan Mir, um, fourth on the uh, – the opening round is, is solid on that Suzuki as well. But yeah, interesting stuff. <sighs> yeah, just been uh, just training and riding, uh, doing some stuff with Cruz. My little guy got him on the PW50 quite a bit now. His first race can be in September. I think his fourth birthday, I might have mentioned it on the show before, but his fourth birthday is actually, I think, Springfield Short Track. So talking with my guy, Jerry Stinchfield. We got a couple cool things in the works for, for Cruz's flat track debut. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. I joked around, like, I guess I could fake him a birth certificate and get him out there at three. I could pull an Earl Hayden, but with social media and, and, and things like that, it's, it's kind of hard to, to pull that off. Everybody knows when he was, when he was born, you know, it's, it's stuff like that. It's so much harder to get away with, with things nowadays than, than they did in the, you know, what was it, the late 80s, early 90s. So, yep, that's all I got. Robbie, you're a bitch for skipping the show, dude. Um, yeah, man, I, I don't know what's going on with Robbie, man. He's just letting me down. Nah, I appreciate those guys for helping me out. I appreciate the fans. Make sure you guys subscribe, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify. Leave us a review, man. I, I say that a lot, but they're they're – really appreciated they help us grow and help fans find our podcast i had like 95 of them and they got shit canned uh, out of my control we're trying to bring them back you can you can you can try and pull some fast ones but you know we're gonna keep keep digging and keep trying to build this show and give the fans just something that they can look forward to week in and week out no bullshit honest opinions just stuff you don't hear the politically correct shit uh, we're trying to bring that to you i've caught some sl- some flack for it from different people the series <laughs> different riders and i'm uh it is what it is i say what i say and we're going to keep it going i think the fans deserve that they 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 deserve to know um honest opinions and you don't really see that in motorsports everybody is just uh just very political po- politically correct on on their answers so we're going to keep that going and yeah before we end it i want to make sure we shout out our sponsors once again that make it happen bell power sports check out bellhelmets.com moto america road atlanta april 30th to may 2nd it's coming up 
get get those tickets. If you can't get tickets, check out the Moto America Live Plus package. DID chain, the number one chain in motorcycling, supercross, flat track, road racing. Make sure you check them out at DID chain. Jerry Stinchfield, our boy Jerry, roof systems of Dallas, Texas. If you need a commercial roof system, he's your guy. Nearly 40 years of experience. Dunlop Motorcycle Tires, the official tire of the American Flat Track Series. They are really doing a lot for our sport and our podcast, giving away a set of tires. We're giving away hats. Make sure you follow Dunlop Motorcycle Tires on social media and just thank them for, for supporting just the industry. They do a, a lot for, for different, different disciplines and in in different sports. AIM Sports, the world leader in data acquisition. Solo 2, look it up. Solo 2, I'm telling you, if you're, if you're a racer, if you're a kart racer, car racer, motorcycle, road race, look up the AIM data Solo 2. It's a game changer. And Mootool, the suspension slacker, check your suspension. It's so easy. I, I, don't, I don't know how people checked it without it. I mean, I do, but shit, I, it, it ain't, I ain't about it. You got to get the Mootool slacker. Look them up on social media. Yeah. Much love to all of our supporters, man. They, they keep us going. 53 in the book. Let's keep it, keep it dialed in. We'll be back next week. Until then, appreciate you guys. Later.